how do boards precise wisely over transactions to avoid shareholder value destruction? We all know that the track record for successful acquisitions is patchy, to say the least. 70% of all deals fail to deliver. There are all sorts of studies with quite different methodologies that point towards the challenges of acquisitions. So if these stats are generally correct, it begs the question, how do boards precise wisely over transactions to actually avoid that they destroy shareholder value? I'm delighted to talk with Dr. Dean Blomson. Dean is a strategic advisor and M&A practitioner. The topic was part of his doctoral research and later on he supported many acquisitions. Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. I'm Dr. Sabine Lempowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. We have created a board evaluation platform that is used by our clients for their internal board evaluations or as part of fully facilitated external board evaluations. And we have also licensed well-known consultancies to use our platform. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Dean, thank you so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. Hey, lovely to see you, Sabine, and it's a pleasure. So what are we talking about today, Dean? Well, we've got a fairly significant topic, Sabine, and we'll try and have a a little bit of a touch base on key aspects of it. But the topic is, how do boards wisely preside over transactions, particularly to reduce shareholder value destruction or to improve the probability of value creation, which is the more positive way of spinning it, of course. I'm fully aware of the statistics on this and the success rates. They are quite shocking, aren't they? Yes, there are many studies around all using different methodologies. But, you know, when you cut through all the noise and all the clutter, at the bottom line is that transactions are a 50-50 proposition for most acquirers. And depending on the methodology, they may say worse than that. But, you know, stats need to be approached with caution and there's lots of variation around the theme. But accepting that it's probably a 50-50 proposition, you have to be asking yourself as a board member, why are you going to beat those odds? What makes you so special on your board? Why are you so much smarter than the other boards or more talented or more experienced or more insightful? What gives you justifiable confidence that you're going to beat the odds, of course, with the executive team that you have? And that is exactly what we will talk about. So I hope people tune in and listen to what we have to say. First things first, Dean, what motivated you actually to dive into this topic and do some research on this topic? Well, like lots of things, it wasn't purely intentional. I stumbled on governance way back when I was doing an advanced diploma in company law and by pure fortune found a copy of the Cadbury report. This was pre-internet days and I did my dissertation on an aspect of governance and then promptly largely forgot about it or ignored it. I was a consulting partner with Ernst & Young in Sydney leading their strategy group and we won a significant proposal to work with a major telco And that telco was prosecuting a very large transaction cross-border. And they asked us to do a strategic due diligence 
and there were lots of complications to the process, but essentially strategic due diligence was undertaken after the heads of agreement were signed, which is not the way one ought to do these things. Nonetheless, we did the work and uncovered a whole range of valuation issues. And it set me wondering what the board was doing in prosecuting this transaction with the management team. What was the board really thinking about? What was the board asking? And of course, we had some insights into that because we were presenting to the board at certain points. But I started to think, why was this the case that a large, sophisticated, well-known organization who could afford the best advice, could employ the best executives, could attract superior board members, why had they got themselves into this pickle over this acquisition? And of course, there was a long and well-publicized washout that followed, which was quite embarrassing for the organization, never mind enormously costly to them and their shareholders. So it caused me to start thinking about what do boards need to do to preside over transactions or to provide effective oversight over transactions? Given the high loss rate of transactions, what is it that boards need to do? I'm talking about the boards of the acquirer to improve the likelihood of success. And that's where this interest originated. No, and let's be very clear. There are thousands of such organizations across the globe, and it happens every week, every month. So before we come to the positive side, what typically goes wrong at board level before, during, and after transactions? Let's start at what goes wrong before the acquisition is actually taking place. Sabine, to answer your question about the before failures, Generally, they can be attributed to a lack of preparation and a lack of priming by the board and the executive team. In other words, the transaction happens in a rush without much anticipation. There's no proper M&A strategy that's been deliberately addressed, discussed at board level with the executive team. And so both the board and the executive are already on the back foot as the transaction is starting to happen. They haven't done the foundational work in preparing for a potential acquisition. That's the before stage. M&A consultants are active, aren't they? So it's very rare that an organization would do this without consultants. So how can this actually go wrong, given all the advice they are receiving? Well, if you're talking about the early stage, yes, there are some companies that are saying deliberately, we will grow through acquisition, we will involve an investment bank, and they will bring us a set of deal books to us that we can start running a slide rule over. And so we give them a mandate and we will then get them engaged. Now, again, has the board had the deliberate and detailed conversation with the executive about exactly which companies, what are our negotiable and non-negotiable criteria, et cetera, et cetera, or are they outsourcing the thinking to the investment bankers? There's no easy answer to that. The second part is once the transaction is flowing, Often what happens is you get specialist firms to advise you, a legal firm doing the legal due diligence, an accounting firm doing the financial due diligence, the investment bankers are in the mix, you might have tax advisors looking at the deal structuring, and you've got a whole plethora of people, but how do you get a joined up, cohesive, well-organized conversation going? Well, that requires a mature, sophisticated executive team and a board that is working closely to make sure that they're getting cohesive advice. 
And that often doesn't happen, particularly if the board itself isn't skilled and experienced. They may have an investment banker on the board, but with all due respect to him or her, their focus is often on the deal structuring, getting the deal done. That's where their expertise lies. They may not be asking all the questions that need to be asked about cultural alignment and integration plans, etc. So you have to be quite deliberate about how you build those teams, who the third parties are that you get involved, how you get them to play nicely together. And of course, having a management team that's match fit, that can coordinate all of this rather than just sitting back and waiting for the experts to tell them. No, that's really helpful, Dean. Let's move on to what's actually typically going wrong at board level during the transaction. Well, the failures during are often directly attributable to the lack of priming and the lack of preparation. But in very simple terms, because it's a big topic, there is a failure to have adequately discussed between the board and the executive the go-no-go decision gates. So transactions tend to drift along because you don't have a set of non-negotiable criteria. You don't have a joined up view about why we might say no and when, or when we might put a hold to it. So that lack of preparation means that you can start slipping and you get caught up in sort of a deal fever, you know, a sort of a sunken cost fallacy. The second thing that happens typically is the due diligence isn't properly structured because you don't necessarily have a well-discussed, well-sorted investment thesis that you've taken your time over, you rush the due diligence and you end up stepping on a whole lot of landmines afterwards. Particularly, you don't build in a proper or robust commercial or strategic due diligence. You haven't really done the cultural due diligence with any level of rigor. So you gloss over what might be lying under the surface and so on. So Failure of due diligence means that there are all sorts of landmines that you unfortunately step on later. And then the last thing is, of course, with that, you haven't managed the teams internally properly that are going to have to do the integration. You just pass this across to them and they're caught by surprise. They haven't been involved in the planning upfront of how you're going to integrate. So that's all of the stuff that typically happens during the transaction. And let's come to the last stage after the transactions. The chips are down, the papers are signed. What typically goes wrong from there? Yet again, Sabine, the causes of failure reside in the earlier stages. You start finding that there are significant cultural mismatches that you hadn't anticipated. The integration efforts start late or they're not well coordinated. They're rushed. And of course, from the board perspective, in the phase we're talking about post-transaction, The board itself loses interest or management loses interest and they're no longer monitoring very closely what's happening with the synergies, what's happening with the integration run rate. Often, you know, if you feel that this is a transaction that is marginal, there's what I call a conspiracy of silence. Everybody says, all right, we've done the deal. Let's just move on, declare victory and let's not talk about it too much. So the board itself needs to ensure that there are optics kept on the commitments Why did we invest in this? What synergies were we going to deliver this quarter, next quarter, etc., etc.? And they maintain the tempo of integration. Could you highlight maybe the top three things, activities that, based on your research, boards need to pay particular attention to? I would say the top three are having that clear strategy up front of where you want to grow, why you want to grow through acquisition how you're going to do it, the nature of what a perfect deal would look like, etc., etc. So it's a clear strategy up front. And of course, then starting to build a target list. 
The second thing that boards need to pay particular attention to is early preparation and planning. Have we got the right skills in the boardroom? Men and women who have done transactions, who've seen them through end-to-end, the finance skills, the integration skills, the deal structuring skills. The same question around preparation amongst the executive team. The board needs to be asking the CEO, tell me, have you, have the CFO been involved in transactions in the recent past? You can't say five or 10 years ago I was involved in an integration. That's not particularly helpful because those skills atrophy. Doing the planning and the preparation upfront with the executive team is the second thing that the boards need to pay particular attention to. The third one, I would say, is that proper understanding of culture. What is it that we're looking for? How will we know that we are culturally compatible? The question for the executive team is, how will you give us confidence that you've thought properly through the integration of culture? Even if it's only a partial integration, if you're going to run these as a bolt-on or run them at arm's length, that you've really understood the cultural alignment adequately. That gives our listeners good headlines. What do the best performing boards do? It's easy to say the reverse of all what you highlighted. Yes. But if you put your spotlight just on some actions and behaviors you have seen highly performing boards do, who manage successful transactions? Well, you're quite right in saying that it's the inverse of what goes wrong. So obviously, you know, those that prepare properly and plan properly. But I'd say there are two things that stand out for me about the best performing boards. The one is they recognize that practice makes perfect, that when you're making transactions, you need to get what I'd call match fit. So you start very small and you start doing transactions and you study them with the executive team, what worked, what didn't work, what could we do better, how do we build our art and science of prosecuting effective transactions. You really approach it as a deliberate capability building exercise. And so you get match fit. The best acquirers do that. They get very deliberate. They don't go and make one transaction every 10 years. Typically, their results are very patchy, whereas what you'd call serial acquirers who really build a capability set around this tend to perform much better. The other thing that the best performing boards do, which won't come as a surprise to you or your listeners, is they proceed with caution. They keep testing the assumptions of the executive team. They stress test all the models. They are very alert to bias in its different forms. You know, optimism bias, bias around, well, you know, sunken cost fallacy. We've got to make this work. We've put all this time and effort and we can't walk away now. They're open to sort of blinkered approaches to what might go wrong. They are continuously proceeding with caution, with some informed skepticism, and they keep working with the executive to get comfort and confidence that they've covered their bases. They keep testing, and they also get other people to do the testing for them. They don't just say to the executive, convince me that you're right. They would probably encourage the executive to have a red team that runs a counterfactual over the deal or to do red flag reports over the integration plans or the risk plans, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, they keep it outside of the deal team because the deal teams often are compromised and tend to fall in love with the deals. So when I say proceed with caution, that's one of the things that boards need to continuously do. No, fantastic. That's really, really helpful. 
Let's shed some light on the non-executive directors who are sitting on the board of the acquiring company. Any tips what they should do? Well, again, you know, the board would be encouraging the CEO and the executive team to start early, to really engage with them around the direction of travel for the transaction agenda, to really start thinking about their own skills, their processes, what is their toolkit? Do they have a end-to-end process for how the transaction may run? What are the stage gates that you're going to engage with us at? What are the things that you want to have some autonomy over versus the topics that we need to have visibility over, etc.? I would be encouraging the CEO and the executive team, as with all good CEO and executive teams, to have an engaged conversation with the chair and the board about how they will run this thing end-to-end. That would be probably my most pithy advice for the executive team. Fantastic. We sadly have to come to an end, Dean. I know. We always ask, what are the three things our listeners should take away from this podcast? First one is be prepared. And we've touched on that several times. And, you know, there's a lot of unpacking, but it's be prepared, the old Boy Scout motto. The second one is be disciplined. If you said you're not going past this stage gate or this is a non-negotiable criteria, you need to stick to it. So be disciplined, follow a process, stick to the plan. Of course, plans need to be flexible, but understand why you need to move away from it. Otherwise, don't just run after everything in an undisciplined way. And the last one is the critical ingredient for all good boards, which is be challenging. Be challenging of each other. Why do we think this deal should proceed? You know, why do we think the executive have really got it covered? Be challenging of the deal thesis, etc. And uh, that is just the best precaution for all boards. Be prepared, be disciplined, be challenging. Fantastic, Dean. Thank you so, so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. It's my pleasure, Sabine. Thank you for inviting me. How can we help you and your board? We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. So if you would like to hear more about our work, if you would like to see a demo of our platform, or if you have an idea about a podcast, Please get in touch. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.